My wife and I have uh, went on a nice little vacation a while ago and went and hit up Nashville and Gatlinburg, and we just uh, really enjoyed the time there. One of our kids is moving the, to Nashville, so um, it was cool because when you go and um, you go somewhere and kind of scope it out, and then uh, you're like, God, is this like where you're, where you're leading, where you're leading her? And, you know, you trust the Lord in that. Uh, every person that we met, literally, almost our Uber drivers, everyone, were like, yeah, she's going to be moving here. And they're like, oh, yeah, where are you guys from? It's like Iowa. And they're like, oh, I'm from Clinton, Iowa. Or I'm from Cedar Rapids. I mean, just everyone was from Iowa. This band that was playing on Broadway, um, they invited her to come up and sing just randomly. This girl comes over to her as we're just sitting there listening to this band and says, hey, do you sing? And so she jumps up and is like, hey, why don't you sing a song with the band here? And so the guy's like, so where are, you, where are you from? And she says, Iowa. And he's like, that's funny. I'm from Iowa. My brother here is from Iowa. The drummer is from Iowa. And the bass player is from Iowa. So Nashville sounds a lot like Iowa to me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I did want to start off with some really serious stuff, which are three, three jokes here. I got three jokes for you. Um, what did the Pink Panther say when he stepped on an ant? Dead ant, dead ant, dead ant, dead ant, dead ant. That's good, right? How do you get 100 math teachers to fit in one room that can hold 99? You carry the one. Cute. Hired a handyman and gave him a list, and when I got home, items one, three, and five were done. Turns out he only does odd jobs. There you go. Enjoy. Well, today I'm talking about uh, getting overturned. Getting overturned. This is something from the story of Jonah. We're going to be looking at the story of Jonah 3. And one thing that you see in this book is the prophet Jonah telling people to get overturned, that God is going to overturn their city. And so uh, Jonah has this mission of telling people to repent. Repent is not a word that we use a whole lot. Maybe you don't see it very often. Um, Maybe you've seen it on a uh, cardboard, you know, and somebody writes, repent, the Lord is near. Has anybody else seen that? Has anyone else been to Chicago? Okay. <laughs> you see it there. Uh, repent is something maybe that you've heard through a microphone on the side of a street and somebody yelling it through one of those megaphones, repent, the Lord is near. Repent is a word that we don't really use in our language a whole lot. We uh, tend to kind of steer away from it. We've replaced it with, you know, hey, you should probably ask me for forgiveness because uh, you screwed up. And so repent is a, a word that um, is used all throughout the Bible. It's used 93 times in the Bible. So it's a, it's a pretty powerful word. And so today we're going to be looking at what does it look like to actually repent? What, what comes from repentance? What comes when we turn away from our old lives and we actually receive the grace and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ? This is what Jonah's message was to 
the people of Nineveh. We're going to be picking it up when Jonah actually makes it to Nineveh today. But if you know the story of Jonah, he starts off his life with God calling him to these Ninevites, which is a town about 500 miles away. And he calls them to go there to preach the gospel, to tell them to repent because God is going to bring destruction if they don't change their ways. This is a lot of the Old Testament. I mean, you've read the Old Testament and you just hear like, wow, like God was like forceful. Well, this was Jonah's message to them. And so Jonah didn't want to do it. And so he actually ran from God and he jumped on a boat. And while he was on a boat, the, the fishermen said, this is like the worst sea, uh, this is the worst storm that we've ever seen on the sea. And so they said, somebody on the boat must be doing something wrong. And Jonah was like, it's me. <laughs> I'm the one. <laughs> and uh, so they took Jonah and they threw him off into the ocean. And so Jonah is floating around. And the Bible says that a big fish, let's just say a whale, comes and swallows Jonah up. And so he lives in the belly of this whale for three days of his life. Could you imagine that? Three stinky days. So Jonah is in the belly of the whale, and he comes to a realization, I can't run from God. How many of you know that today? You can't run from God. You can try. You can go to the highest mountains and you can go to the lowest valleys, but God is always there. Psalms 23 just states it so well. And some of you in this room might need to hear that for somebody you really love, that they're just running, they're running. It's like, God, do you got this under control? Are you in control? Yes, he knows what's going on. He can't be outran. When I was uh, growing up in, in downtown Rock Island, we would uh, hit the bank in the downtown part that had some um, granite because we were skateboarders. And so uh, the cops didn't want us skateboarding, though. And so uh, we would be skateboarding, and then the cops would pull up, and then uh, we would take off and go, you know, as fast as we can on our skateboards. And then we'd turn the corner, and there's two cops waiting for us, like, where are you guys going? And it took me a while to realize, like, they got walkie-talkies. You know, I'm thinking we just outran this cop. No, 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 there's more. And so, you know, it's kind of that way with the Lord. You think that you can outrun them. You think you can really get in the way. Oh, I'm really going down this direction. Or somebody in your life is really going down this direction. And the Lord's like, no, I'm right here too. Nope, I'm right here too. No, I'm right here too. Wherever we go, we can't outrun God. And so Jonah tried that. And finally, he came to a point where he's like, I'm not going to outrun God I'm going to go ahead and do what he told me to do. And that's where we're picking it up in Jonah 3. Jonah 3, 1 says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. A second time. So Jonah was told the first time what to do, and then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. I'm just really thankful that God is so patient with me that he says things more than once. You know, because a lot of times I choose the other thing that he says. I did a little bit of research. I got an Irish wolfhound dog. And uh, I did a little bit of research because he's really smart, but he's also really dumb. Amen. And so <laughs> you guys are like, yes. Do you know my dog? <laughs> so he's, 
He's, he is. He's, but here's the thing is I looked at it, and Irish wolfhounds only listen 50% of the time. Does that sound like anyone else in the room? You know, God is like, hey, this is what I have for you. Don't go down that direction. That's not the right guy. That's not the right girl. I got something so much better for you. And he only listens 50% of the time. So what I started doing is repeating everything to him like four times. Because it's going to be one out of the four. He's going to actually listen. Hank, turn around. Hank, turn around. Hank, turn around. Hank, turn around. Okay. You know, he's ready to go. So that's kind of what Jonah was doing with God is um, he uh, was told one time and the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Verse 2 says, get up. Because Jonah is sitting on the side of a sand area, a sandy beach where the big whale spit him out. How many of you would just rather just sit there? I'm just going to sit here for a while. God says, get up. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message that I give you. So Nineveh was about 500 miles from Jonah when God originally spoke to him, which is going to Chicago twice. You know, that's a trip, right? Now you're on foot. You know, I've ran marathons. Like, that's 26 miles. This 500-mile trip for Jonah. When he jumped on the boat, and they threw him off the boat, and the big fish swallowed him and put him in the belly for three days. Jonah has actually now traveled 300 miles, and he's only 200 miles from Nineveh. So sometimes, like, when you outrun God and you think you're really doing something to get away from, like, the calling that he has on your life, he will repurpose it to actually bring you closer to the original calling that he already had on your life. He couldn't outrun God. The fish actually spits him out 200 miles away instead of 500 miles away. God works all things together for our good. Isn't that cool? So Jonah is spit up, and God says, go back and do what I originally told you. In verse 3, it says, this time Jonah got up and went to Nineveh in accordance with the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, requiring a three-day journey. On the first day of the journey, Jonah set out to the city to proclaim, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. God is coming with destruction. You guys got 40 days. 40 more days, Nineveh's going to be overturned. He takes a three-day trip. It's a three-day journey to get through the city. 40 more days, he's going around, proclaiming it, telling everybody, you guys got 40 days. And this is a lot of times what prophets would do in the Old Testament. How many of you are happy you weren't born in the Old Testament? I, I just am. I mean, really. The, I've just been diving into it so deep this year, and I'm just like, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for the cross. So prophets would come to a city, and they would say, Turn to God, and he wants you to be his people. Repent. Come back to him. Jonah is a different prophet. Jonah says, you guys got 40 days, and God's going to destroy your city, okay? I don't really like you guys. I stink like fish, and I'm sick of this job. 40 days, and God's coming. 
That's it. That's all there is to it. Like there's no, there's nothing. There's no requirement. Hey, fix these things and God will not overturn your city. No, just 40 days and God's coming. And the Ninevites believed God. They proclaimed in fast and dressed in sackcloth. From the great, greatest of them to the least of them. So they started a fast, so they didn't eat. And then they dressed themselves. Do you know potato sacks that you get like at high V? So imagine a whole bodysuit of potato sack. Just itchy, just tormenting yourself, right? Fasting's hard enough, amen? Like who wants to be called to that? They proclaimed a fast and dressed in sackcloth and the greatest of them to the least. When the word reached the king of Nineveh, he got up from his throne and he took off his royal robe and covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. So not just the the town people, not just the, the ordinary people. The king hears that God is going to overturn our city if we don't change. And so he dresses up and takes off his royalty, his kingship, steps off of his throne and dresses himself in sackcloth. Then he issued a proclamation in Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles. Let no man or beast, herd or flock, taste anything at all. So not only do humans get to fast and have to fast, but the cows are fasting. He doesn't want your dog to eat. It's like nobody in the town's going to eat at all. Furthermore, let both man and beast be covered with sackcloth. So now your dog's covered in a potato sack. And have everyone call out earnestly to God. Do you hear the, the passion in this? Let everyone call out earnestly to God. What if we all called out to God and, and said, God, no, like, don't let this happen. We, we want you instead of whatever else we have in our life. That each one turn from their evil ways and from the violence in his, and from the violence in his hands. I love verse nine. Who knows? And who knows? Who knows what could happen if we were to do that? God may turn and relent. And he may turn from his fierce anger so that we will not be perished. This may not be our fate. If, we, if I step off my throne and I make a decree to everyone that God may relent on the anger of turning away from him as a city, he may forgive us. And we might not have to walk through destruction This was the king's decree. Let no one eat. Everybody dress up in potato sacks and let's see what happens. What if we repented? What if we turned away from our evil ways? When God saw their actions, that they had turned from their evil ways, he relented from the disaster that he had threatened to bring upon them. Jonah's prophecy was correct. They did get overturned. 
overturned is just another way of churning around. They were going in this direction, living for themselves, living the desires of their hearts and their minds and whatever satisfies them. And then they churned around and they came back to God. The town did get overturned. It just looked a lot different. They turned around, did a complete 180 and came back to the Lord. God's original purpose for Jonah was to bring the town to be overturned. His original purpose wasn't to bring destruction. The goal was for people to repent and come back to God. What about us? This is a great story. I love the story of Jonah. But what about us today? What does that look like for us? You know, we don't have prophets coming to our door and knocking on the door and saying, hey, just let you know, uh, repent, right? If you do, like, let's talk about that later. We don't have that. But what we do have is we have the Holy Spirit who resides inside of us who stirs up things and kind of brings them to the surface and says, this is keeping you away from the goodness of God. These are some things in your life that, that I want to work on. I want to be a part of that. Would you, would you hand them over to me? I got so much more for you than what you're experiencing right now. And so the Holy Spirit kind of stirs some of that. And sometimes it's unsettling, isn't it? It's like, you won't leave me alone. It's the same thing of you can't run from God. There's some stuff in our lives sometimes that the Holy Spirit is like, hey, I want to take care of this. Would you surrender it to me because I got it? So I want to kind of talk about how and what happens when we repent. What happens to people when we repent? Well, repentance reminds us of our Savior, that we all need a Savior, every single one of us. That we never have been good enough on our own, but Jesus loves us so much that he saved us from our sins. Repentance reminds us of that. It puts us in alignment with God's calling on our life. Repentance gives us strength to walk through consequences. Sometimes when you make a really big mess, I've made some really big messes in my life. And it's been through repentance that I've been able to walk through the consequences of those messes. Just because Jesus forgave me doesn't mean that there won't be consequences to my actions. We we get so confused on that so many times. There's still consequences. But what repentance does is it takes away, it strips away the guilt and the shame that's associated with my actions that I can walk through in the strength of Jesus Christ, the consequences of my actions. Does that make sense? So it gives us strength to walk through really tough seasons of big messes that we make. Repentance does us. Repentance takes the power out of guilt and shame. It removes the power of guilt and shame. When we repent to God... When we say, I've made a mistake, it actually rips all the power of that guilt. Because guilt and shame is something that we want to hide. Guilt and shame hangs out in closets. 
And we open up the closet like, oh, there's all that guilt and shame. We push it back in, condemnation and all that. Repentance actually opens up the door of the closet and just like, go ahead, God. Like, go ahead and look through it. Look through all the shelves. There's nothing to hide anymore. Shame is like hiding, hiding what, what we've done. And so when we repent, our, our closets are completely cleaned out. And God can actually put things in there that are good. And so repentance actually removes guilt and shame. I think some different questions I just wanted to, maybe if you're thinking about them, is one question could be, you know, when do I repent? When, when do I do this? Like, what, what's the structure? What's the order? So repentance is just completely between us and God. It's simply just saying to God, I'm sorry. And you can say that out loud or you can say that in your heart. Repentance is something that you can just say in your heart. Man, God, I'm, I'm really sorry about that. I totally lost, totally lost my cool on that. So repentance is something that we do between us and God. I have found a lot of freedom in being able to bring some of my struggles to somebody else in my life that I really trust and say, hey, man, I am really, I'm really dealing with this. Not that I'm asking you to like go to God for God to forgive me. That's a weird system, that weird accountability type stuff. Like I got to go to you because then you're going to take it to God and then I'm going to be okay. That is not what I'm talking about at all. What I'm talking about is like, hey, man, will you be praying for me? Because I'm really walking through this, and I keep falling into it. Does that make sense? So when do we do it? We just bring it to the Lord. Take it directly to God. And how do you repent? I like to verbally say out loud what I'm repenting of. And I think that there's power in that. And the main reason is, is because the enemy hears you actually say, you know what, Neil's repenting of such and such. I don't have any control over that. I can't bring any more guilt to that because he already took it to the Lord. He's not hiding that from anybody. Repentance is not sin management. Sin management is trying to be good enough that God will finally accept us and we can finally be with God. And so I got to manage my sin. I'm going to categorize it. I'm going to put it in boxes. And then I got it all taken care of. I'm going to manage all of my sin. Repentance is coming to a God who already forgives us and already accepts us and receiving the forgiveness of the Lord. Sin management will drive you bonkers trying to manage all the sins of your life. Repentance is a step of freedom. It's freedom. A couple of other things on that is just because we have a repentant heart about a situation and maybe we're categorized with other people that are also in a situation because we have a repentant heart about it doesn't mean that they will. In relationships, I see this a lot is, you know, one person's really repentant of something that happened and the other person's like, no, I'm not at all. It doesn't mean that you're, you can actually like pass on your repentance to somebody else. Like, take it. It's really good. They have to be able to accept it themselves that they need to repent. You can't force repentance on people as much as you can try. <laughs> what happens is actually shame and guilt. 
Because you can't force shame and guilt on people, right? You can shame people, but you can't force people to repent. You have to trust the Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit that's working inside of us is the same Holy Spirit that's going to work in their life. A couple more things is, you may ask, like, how do I repent? I think this is a big one. And it's as simple as this, is asking Jesus to forgive you. Jesus, forgive me. I, I blew up on that person at the Y the other day. You know, Jesus, forgive me. That person cut me off, and now I'm riding their butt. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> the consequences to that are brake lights in front of you. And <laughs> no, just ask the Lord to forgive you. Jesus, forgive me. Man, I screwed up. And I don't ask, will you forgive me? Because his forgiveness is already established 110%. So it's not a question of like, will God forgive me of this? No, he's forgiven you. It's already done. Repentance is for us. It's not for God. He's already taken care of everything. It's the stuff that's associated to holding on to the things that we don't want to repent from. And so repentance is totally for us. And what it does is it removes the guilt and shame and it gives us freedom in that situation. Repentance is for us. A couple of words that um, if you find yourself like, I don't know if I need to repent of this. Some of your thoughts could be, you know, this is probably somebody else's fault. If they wouldn't have done such and such, then I wouldn't have reacted like this. Right? Come on. If they want to have done this, then I want to have reacted like this. That's a heart that's not really ready for repentance yet. Just go ahead and take, take advantage of that moment and say, you know, I just need to repent. God, forgive me. Give me compassion for people. Pride. Pride is not a word found in the repentant heart. Very proud of the sins that I'm doing right now. That doesn't make any sense. So if you find yourself like, I'm kind of proud of what I've done. Man, I'm proud I stood up to them and put them in their place. Pride is, is a word that's really not found in repentance. And the last one is uh, self-righteousness. Self-righteousness is wanting somebody else to experience the judgment that we don't experience from God. So if, <laughs> I am amazed at how many people are loved and accepted in the kingdom of God, but then yet alone want to turn around and pour out judgment on everybody that was living the same way they were a week ago, Right? Self-righteousness is like this idea that we're better than somebody else. We finally got it all taken care of. Just really quickly, we are a stage four church. Stage four church, what that means is stage one is when you surrender your life over to Jesus Christ and you say, Jesus, I love you. Come into my heart. Fill me with your love. Stage two is when you become righteous 
And sometimes that's, that's righteousness, and sometimes it's self-righteousness. And so a lot of times you surrender your life over to Jesus, and then you're like, I'm never going to screw up again. I'm never going to sin again. I'm never going to cuss again. I'm not going to do this stuff again. And then you go and do it. Amen? Anyone else? Okay, so that's stage two. So stage three is like, nothing changed in my life. I started following Jesus. I thought I was righteous now, and yet alone, I'm still doing some of the same mistakes that I was doing before I started following Jesus, because that happens. Guys, I have baptized like, I think it's 250 people in the same exact tub right here. We just painted it. That thought that like, as soon as they went under the water, they're going to come out and never sin again. It's just not true. We're setting people up for failure. And so stage three is like, this doesn't work. It doesn't work. I still screw up. I still blow up at people. I still have anger issues. I, I still say things that are like totally like Jesus. Stage four is saying, I understand where I am at. And Jesus Christ loves me exactly how I am, but I am growing in Jesus. So that's the church that we are. So like if you have an idea of like stage one and stage two and stage three, maybe you just walked in the doors and you've given up on a lot of that stuff. I want to encourage you, you're actually in a really good spot right now. If you've given up on like, I'm going to be good enough that God's going to accept me. No, we're not good enough, but God still accepts us. So I say all that to say this, is there is no shame in repentance. You know, to, to, come, to, to come to God and just say, you know, I'm, I've screwed up, God. I, I'm sorry. Man, I made a mess. There's no shame in that. Not in the stage four faith. In the stage two faith is, yeah, you should have been better. You should have, done, you should have read your Bible more. You should have prayed more. That's stage two. That's not who we are. There's no shame in repentance. We are all loved and accepted by God. He calls us sons and daughters. And he stands there with open arms at the front of the porch saying, come on home, son and daughter. There's no shame in repentance. So if you've been running, come home. Come home today. Come back to God. If you've been running away, if you've been, if you've been running, turn around. Do a complete 180. If you've been in a season of being controlled by addictions and lusts, turn around. There's no shame in repentance. Open up the door. Show God all that stuff. Well, he doesn't care about that. He cares about your relationship. Maybe you've been following Jesus for a while. There's one word that I... I just really felt like this could be a, a, something that I know I deal with it personally. It's just that cynicism of when things aren't going exactly as you planned and you get frustrated with God and then you become cynical. I just invite you to turn around and say, you know what? The joy of the Lord will be my strength no matter what I'm facing. God, I choose to just surrender that to you today. I repent of, of holding on to this stuff because it's not going my direction. Who am I? Turn around. Get overturned. There's no shame in repentance.
just really truly believe, and I said this at first services, that we get to leave here free. We get to leave here completely and totally, radically free from anything that just wants to associate itself with condemnation and guilt and all that stuff. There's freedom in Jesus Christ and what he did for each one of us today. Jesus didn't die on the cross to just like have us live out these lives full of pain and suffering and walking through all the shame that comes along with sin. He died on the cross that we get to walk in freedom. And so I just want you to know like repentance is something when I first started following Jesus, I did every single morning, God, please forgive me of this stuff. And you know, it took like 15 years for a lot of the past to actually like, (laughs) that I could actually forgive myself. But I kept going back to him, kept going back to him, kept going back to him knowing, oh, he actually forgives me. And so I'd just love to just start that journey with you today, whether it's your first time and just saying, you know what, Jesus, forgive me for living my life for myself and I need you in my life once and for all. Just completely and totally surrender your life over to Jesus Christ. He's here, he's here right now. And he forgives us and we get to walk in freedom or whether there's some things that, you know, maybe you walked in the door and I just saw like this book bag of just stuff, of just like overflowing of just stuff in our life. And one of the main ones in that, that, that I just really feel the Lord um, is inviting us into is, is unforgiveness. You know, the same forgiveness that we receive sometimes is so hard to give to somebody else. And so just to be able to say, you know what, God, will you forgive me for holding on to this grudge against this person or forgive me for holding on to this hurt from this person? I just, I'm going to surrender it to you. It's not worth it. It's not worth it, is it? But just to repent to the Lord. Let's just do that. Let's just, let's just invite him right now. I just want to take little bit of time and just just to invite God to stir our hearts and you know David says it so beautifully in Psalms 139 and search my heart oh God and know if there's any offensive way within me and then lead me into the path of righteousness 